I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to the final episode of our podcast, Principles of Dealership Management with Dr. Jim Weber. During this five-part series, Dr. Weber and editor-publisher Mike Lesseter discuss dealer management best practices based on Weber's 40-plus years working with dealers and manufacturers in the ag construction and other industries. In this episode, we pick the conversation up with Mike and Dr. Weber discussing how he runs his 20 groups in training and consulting and the expectations dealers should have from any training program. Before we head over to Mike's conversation with Dr. Weber, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Previnus Biobasic Software, for making this series possible. Are you tired of not having the ability to access your business outside of the office? Premis by Basic Software Systems is a web-based responsive software that puts your business in your hands with full access from anywhere, anytime. No limited apps and no other connections required, just internet access. Wouldn't you love to see the data you want with one simple click or tap? With Premis, customize your views to show exactly what you want to see when you want to see it. And our system's multiple layers of data allow you to go deeper with your information. Premis truly is your business system in your pocket. To learn more, visit www.basic-software.com slash Primus. Like all our podcasts, you can subscribe via Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new podcast is released. And be sure to head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Okay, let's get going. Here's part five of Mike Lesseter's exclusive one-on-one interview with Dr. Jim Weber. Tell us a little bit for someone who's not involved in a twenty group and in a dealer group. I think you have you run two different. I run two groups. One group is what I call a high volume group. These are people that are chasing market share and they're doing probably and well. I know the average. The average is one hundred thirty nine million dollars for those. 10 dealers or 11 dealers that I have in that group. And the other group is what I call a profit group and they average $42 million in volume. But their profit is 4% versus the other group's profit that is 1.08%. So we're looking at a, a schism of about 3%. So where would you rather be? I mean, a lot of people are chasing volume. And, and, and this group just shows that, no, there's two in that group that are making 3%, 2.9 and 2.7. But in the profit group, I've got an individual making 11% profit I got another guy making 8% profit. I got four that are making 4% profit. So I've got right there six dealers that are making more than the top two in the revenue group. So it's a mindset. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be high volume or you want to be high profit? So tell us, for someone who doesn't know, tell us what it's like to be in a Weber group. How often you guys get together, what you do. Walk us through that. Okay. So what I do is back in 92 to manage my cash flow, what I said to my clients when I put the uh, groups together is I'm going to charge you a quarterly fee. I'm not going to be billing out monthly and I don't have people working for me to send out a bunch of invoices. So I charge them a quarterly fee. And for that, they get so many days of my time a year. Now, initially it was four days. And so I said, I will give you four days of my time every year. So I normally charge significantly more than my quarterly fee. Four, five, six years ago, seven years ago, I just waived the four days. And I said, screw that. So, I mean, like last year, I had one individual abuse the daylights out of me and he used me for three weeks worth of training and three days worth of consulting. Didn't mind it. I mean, he just needed some help. And he said, would you mind doing this? And I said, no. So we went in and trained. This is a dealership with 13 locations. And we spread it out. Several people went through. Look, nobody can go through my training and get it the first time. It's a five-day training class. So what I tell them up front is if you expect the people to walk out of there and do the job, they're not going to do it. I mean, so they have to be through two and three times. So you look at several of my clients. Every one of their employees have been through two and three times. It's painful. 
but that's when they start to get it. Now, the biggest problem, and I'll finish the soliloquy that I have here for a second. The biggest problem we have on the training is that most dealers think that by sending them through the training, whether it's mine, whether it's the next guy, whether it's the next guy, whether it's the manufacturer, whatever the case may be, they think by sending them the training magically, these employees are going to go back and do it. I say no. So when my training is over, I encourage, I implore, I plead with the dealer, don't put the employee back in the dealership. Don't let him go back in Saturday. So I run a session that runs Monday through Friday. Don't let him go in Saturday. Don't let him go in Monday. Don't let him go in Tuesday. What they should do Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is to take the 600 pages of material that I've provided with them, to take the plethora of numbers that I've shared with them, to take the benchmarks that they should now be looking at their department on based on what we've spent the last five days talking about and come up with a plan by which they are going to put in place. Now, what a smart dealer would do is he would sit down with that individual the following Wednesday and say, all right, now, you've just attended Dr. Weber's training program. You've spent five days there. We've made an investment, paltry, tawdry investment, by the way, but we've made an investment nevertheless to bring Weber in and do this training, what are we going to do? And I would mandate that he show me a plan that he is going to put in place as a result of the training. But what we do, 95%, 98%, what we do is we let them leave the training. They go rushing back into the dealership Saturday morning or Monday at the absolute latest. We got the alligators nipping at their heels. We got employees saying, what did we do? You were gone. Hey, I needed to do this. Can you help me here? We got customers that are saying, where have you been for the week? I need this. I, I, I got to get this. And the next thing you know, you got about a two-week window. And if, that, if the tactical activities have not been implemented within that two-week period of time, we're upside down. Guess what? The training has failed. So, I mean, I continue to say to dealers, look, if you think this is going to be magical, so anyway, so I give my clients the opportunity to use me any way they want. They want me to come in and do a strategic planning session. I'll do that. They want me to do train. I'll do anything they want me to do. So again, I waive the four-day limit. It's whatever they want. I'm here to help. Look, I'm on the downside of where I'm going. So I recognize that. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to retain the 25 clients that I have. So if anything I can do to help them make it over the next four to five years, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I have not- your clients in a group? In it, in, where you come together in one of those two groups? The answer is no. And the reason the answer is no is because I have two dealers in the profit group and two dealers in the revenue group that are contiguous with one another. Gotcha. So, and there's a little animosity between uh, each of those. Now, if I didn't have two of either one, I could merge them. Yeah. There's also this belief, and it's completely wrong, by the way. There's also this belief that out of the revenue group, they don't want to listen to the profit group because they're smaller. They're only $42 million average sales versus the 139. But wait a second, this $42 million dealership is making 4% profitability. If I was the $139 million dealer making 1.08% bottom line profitability, guess what I'd be doing? I'd be saying, guy, what are you doing to make 4%? Maybe I could learn something. But they say, ah, he's only a small dealer. It's $42 million. I don't, I don't want to listen to them. I want to listen to other dealers giving away machinery and making the manufacturer happy and volume bonus. So when you, when you have your, your group meetings, do you meet three times a year? I meet twice a year. Twice a year. The reason I'm asking is if some dealer who has not participated in peer group activities, we give them a reason why they ought to do this. Yeah. So, so let, me get, let me give you an example of one of the things I did and have done for the last two years. In February, where I meet with both groups in Florida, I meet with them one week and then the other group the following week, I handed out a 58-page packet. And that 58-page packet was based on an analysis of their numbers. And I benchmarked those numbers up against not only the other nine dealers 
of their group, but against the other 10 dealers in that group. So I literally had 57 pages, 58 pages of financial data that they could go in there and look at how they did and pick any metric you want to look at. I had it completely analyzed backwards, forwards, upside down. I looked at this number, I looked at this and said, if I was a dealer, I would be making this work for me. And how would I be making it work for me? I would be taking the data back to the dealership that I represent and I would be calling my management team together and I would be saying, hey, why are we only making 1.08% when this dealership over here is making 3.8%? And you could literally go down and look at any number you wanted to look at. I mean, I'm telling you, 58 pages of data laid out across that. I myself think that by itself is worth being in that group, to be honest with you. We'll get back to Mike and Dr. Weber shortly, but first I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Primus by Basic Software. To learn more about what Primus can do for your dealership, visit www.basic-software.com slash Primus. Okay, let's get back to the program and listen in as Mike and Dr. Weber continue talking about dealership training and making sure you have people in the right positions for success. So the revenue group, which I happen to be meeting with again next week, we will visit a dealership and so what I decided to do next week is we're going to have a, an analysis of the parts department a little bit more in detail. How are, you paying, how are you paying parts people? What incentive systems do you have? What kind of obsolescence do you have? Now, a lot of that data showed up on this comprehensive analysis that I did, but now we're going to explore it in greater detail where instead of looking at 58 pages, we're going to consolidate it down to look at one department and say, okay, what can we do? So we'll bring the, many of them will bring their parts managers in along with the dealer principal, and we'll then sit down and talk about those metrics that apply specifically to that department. Excellent. Like, see the value of that, knowing, knowing what the best of the best are doing. Yeah, exactly. You're one, right? How much, you getting tired, Jim? No, man, come on. What do you think? Don't let this gray, <laughs> dude, don't let this gray hair fool you, man. I'm just getting started. I, I guess tired of the interview is what <laughs> you're yeah, I'm not, I'm not questioning no, no, no. My, my energy level? Yeah. No, yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm good. I got a, I got a broad question that we can, we can kind of get to the end here, I think, but so if you had, um, you're familiar with that last lecture book, and you read that one? The guy with I, I'm not. Pancreatic cancer, he got up and said a last lecture. Oh, I know I know the story. Okay. Yeah. So um, certainly don't don't wish, you that, wish that situation. Jeez, let me hold on here. <laughs> if you were going to have made your, your final plea to dealers to listen to you, to prepare for the future, what would be three points that you would make in that? last lecture hire and retain only the best people have extraordinarily high expectations and do not compromise your standards and have a series of benchmarks by each department by which you manage those individuals and reward them commensurate with their performance and not discretionary none with all this discretionary compensation it's going to be tied totally toward overall performance if they did those three things I will guarantee you that we would have a tremendous change in the, in the management structure and in the financial structure of the overwhelming number of dealerships that exist out there. And it's pretty simple to do, but they will find reasons not to do it. And again, they'll come back and say, I can't find good employees. Look, I gave a presentation to a dealer in the state of Wisconsin 10 years ago, training session. And when I got done with the service training, I asked the service managers in the room with their eight store managers, said, gentlemen, when you get home, what I would like you to do is look in the mirror and I would like you to, like you to ask yourself, are you capable of doing what I, me, 
had recommended you do as a service manager. And if you're not capable of doing that, then what you should do is go to the store manager and ask to have another position in the company. And I will have nothing but total and complete respect for you. So the next morning, the store manager comes in and I'm doing a parts training session that day with the parts managers. And the store manager comes in and says, you messed me up yesterday. I'm looking at him. Well, he didn't really say, you messed me up. He said something else. But <laughs> because we're being filmed here, I can't tell you exactly what he said. Because I'm becoming more sensitive, you yes, see, as you I are, age. You're, you're I'm, thank you. Oh, totally, man. Thank you for recognizing it. So I'm becoming more and more sensitive. And so he said, you messed me up yesterday. I said, dude, I heard you the first time, but I don't know what you're saying to me. He said, well, my service manager couldn't wait till he got home. When he got in the pickup truck, he moved the rear view mirror around, looked in the mirror and said, I can't do with this nice, good looking consultant said I should be doing. I can't do it. I said, oh my God, I broke out in a smile. I said, oh, that's fantastic. He said, no, no, you, you don't understand. Again, here we go again, right? You don't understand how hard it is to find a service manager in, we'll call it Milwaukee, since you're in Brooksville, yeah, Brooksville, right? right. Yeah. He said, you don't understand how hard it is to find a service manager in Brookfield. So I said, what did you do? See, I'm, I'm like, I'm basking in my glow. I'm thinking I, I, I accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. Challenging, right? And I got it across. This guy can't do it. And I said, so what did you do? He said, I kissed him all the way back to Brookfield. <laughs> oh, deflated, right? I said, you didn't. He said, I did. You don't know how hard it is to find a service manager in Brookfield. Okay. So I don't even want to deal with a store manager. He's weak. W-E-A-K, weak being the confrontational guy that I am. See how I fold my arms yeah. down, getting confrontational. <laughs> and he says, uh, six weeks later, he doesn't say, six weeks later, my phone rings. And it's a dealer principal. And he said, guess who resigned yesterday? And I said, well, the service manager in Brookfield. He said, well, how did you know? I said, well, he was basically giving the store manager the message when he said, I can't do the job. He recognized that he couldn't do the job. And I said, instead of letting him resign, what you should have let him do was go back to being the service technician that he was prior to taking the position that he was incapable of performing. And you know what? You'd had a winner. But now what are you going to do? I guess we're going to have to get a new service manager. Now, six weeks later, there was no service manager in Brookfield, Wisconsin to be had. So two weeks later, the celestial skies open up in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And guess what descends down from the heavens above? A service manager. He was there all along. Now, the individual they lost, he goes out and he takes a job at the Brookfield, Wisconsin maintenance department to go around making his $20 an hour, whatever the case may be. Could have been fantastic tech for that dealership. No, we let him go because the store manager didn't want to do his job and let him go back to being a service tech and to find a replacement for that individual. That's a poor, that's a poor store manager. We should have been terminating that store manager. But then again, there's Weber talking about terminating people. I'm saying you would never have let that guy go. You recognize the fact he's got some tremendous strengths, one of which is not to be a manager. He's basically telling him that. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's where we go. Yeah, it was brought to a head and then... Yeah, and he, 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 and, and he made, and he made the right, by the way, he made the right decision. He absolutely, I have nothing but total and complete respect for that service, ex-service manager who could have been a fantastic service technician. He did the right thing. He took a job with less responsibility, probably making more money, but I don't know that, and going out there rather than working in a dealership where he could not perform. But again, instead of the store manager doing his job, 
And that was to find a replacement for him. Well, you can't find him in Brookfield, Wisconsin. As it is in Rolling Fork, Mississippi, or as it is in wherever. They're there. You gotta work. You gotta at your job. Is there anything that, that I failed to ask you you thought I would or should have? No, no. I think you asked me everything. You asked me too much. This was fun. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, should, I should submit a I should submit a higher invoice to you for crying out loud. Maybe I will, as a matter of well, fact. Well, I got to pay Joe for the IT thing. Oh, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank, well, thank you. you, Jim. This, yeah, was, this was a real pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for uh, supporting us and all the work you've you've done helping our staff out over the years and, and making the helping the industry move forward. Appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come back. That does it for part five of Principles of Dealership Management with Dr. Jim Weber. Thanks again to Primus by Basic Software for sponsoring this series. We hope you enjoyed the series, and if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future podcasts, hit me up at kschmidt at lessetermedia.com. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.